introduction. Next time we gather, so next week we will be off, and then the, the January third uh, will be come back. And January third will is when we will actually like dig into the first content of the book of Revelation. Uh, but before we dive into what actually it teaches, we kind of need to um, look at kind of the historical and uh, context and when did John write this and, and so forth. So, But the, one of the things with the book of Revelation is this, that everybody has an opinion about it. And so here's a question to start off. You know, what, what do you know about the book of Revelation? What have you been told about the book of Revelation? What have you been taught about the book of Revelation? It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it has a lot to do with the end times of what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. What else? Is it an easy book or a hard book to understand? Hard. It's a hard one. Yeah, yeah it is a, there's a lot of symbolism uh, in there that um, the writer's the, the people that John is writing to, they would have understood it. Uh, we're 2,000 years removed, and it's difficult sometimes for us to understand. Um, John is writing to uh, uh, using a lot of Jewish symbolism, as we'll find, as we'll see. And again, that's hard for us to understand because we're non-Jewish. Uh, we don't live in that context. So what else? That's a lot about judgment. It's one reason why people don't really like to. Book relation is is interesting. And some people love it because you're like, yes, the wicked are going to finally get what they're going to get, and then other people are like, kind of freaked out about it because there's so much difficulty and judgment that comes on here, and hardship and and so forth. And then there's others that just like asking that question that we really wrestle with is, how can God do this? And that's and we'll get into some of that as well. Um, what else? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's a mark of the beast, and we'll talk about what that mark of the beast when we get to those passages uh, uh, here. But uh, it is. Um, and there's a lot of, especially when it comes to mark of the beast, there's a lot of fear that goes along with that. Um, in college, we had a friend, uh, I had a friend that uh, he worked at a bank um, in Virginia, in the town that he uh, lived in. And the bank president, uh, or the owner of this local bank, he believed that credit cards and debit cards were the mark of the beast. And so he refused to have his bank do credit cards or debit cards. And so everything was cash or check. And, and uh, someone asked him one time and said, you realize that if you went to credit cards and debit cards, you probably could cut half your staff because of they were, because if you, they had to manually count the checks and, and so forth. And he said, well, I believe that's the mark of the beast. And so I'm not dealing with it. Now, that was 20 years ago. So he probably has changed by now or he's out of business. But, uh, um, it is. Uh, sometimes there's so much misunderstanding. Uh, even when the whole, the, whole, whole, the whole COVID shot, you heard people saying that. Well, that's the mark of the beast. Yeah, they 
Yep. Or they took, or they took, uh, I actually had a guy tell me this. Uh, do you realize in the COVID sauce, they took the, the thing and the, um, the fireflies that make them light up? They took that out of the fireflies, stuck it into the uh, COVID shot, and so then they can take their wand and actually see if you had it or not. And I said, oh, that's, that's, uh, I guess they're supposed to light up. I said, well, if you live up towards Erie, you light up for other reasons because uh, the Lake Erie was a little polluted. Uh, so, so, so yeah, so, but, but it's amazing, especially. In the evangelical church community, you hear that all the time, especially with something new. Oh, that's the mark of the beast. Uh, so when we get to that point, we'll actually see what the mark of the beast actually um, entails. Uh, so, um, what else? Pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. There is when that those are theological terms that deal with uh, when does the events that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians about the rapture of the church, when is that supposed to happen? A tribulation is where it talks about these last uh, seven years uh, before Jesus returns. And so the question becomes, when does Jesus come back and take the church, the followers out? Uh, Pre-trip says, well, it's before the seven years. Mid-trip says, well, it's in, in the middle, three and a half years. Post-trip says, uh, well, the church will go through the entire tribulation period and then Jesus will return and set up his kingdom. Uh, and so there's um, good Bible-believing people in all three camps. Famous pastor on TV, Dr. David Jeremiah. What does he believe? Pre-trip. Pre-trip. Pre-tribulation. Sorry, pre-trib. Before the tribulation. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Um, so yeah, so there's... And if you just Google the book of Revelation, you go to YouTube and Google the book of Revelation, you will find every. there are so many opinions out there. So many opinions. Uh, so, and, and there's a lot of people that read the book of Revelation and it's like the doomsday uh, mentality of the end of the world uh, type uh, and, and people kind of get freaked out about that. Well, basically what you're talking about that. Yep. Movies yep. are scary. Yep. Like, you think of the movie, uh, there was uh, when, uh, when I was in youth group, uh, this was before my time, but we watched it for some reason, the Thief in the Night uh, video series, uh, and about uh, like what's going, what is it going to look like when you, if uh, the, this tribulation period. Uh, the newer ones, uh, the Left Behind series, kind of did that a little bit as well. And uh, and sometimes it's like, it, it, it is kind of scary um, about some of those things and it, how this it, all plays it, out. Yep. Yep. And that's uh, the thing we have to keep in mind as we go through this is uh, the reason why John and the reason why God gave this revelation to John in the first place is to give those believers hope because of what they were going through. 
Uh, here's some things as we uh, kind of start this off. You know, there's many opinions about the things and the meaning of the, the events and symbolisms uh, that are out there. Again, every you can Google it and there's tons of opinions. But the one thing that that I always stress as we go through this is that question, you know, what does the Bible actually say? And that's going to be the challenge as we go through this is kind of, you know, leave leave some of these some of the so-called opinions or, or man's opinions or things of speculation kind of out and and let's actually look at the actual text and let's look at the, what the Bible how John the words that John used and how it's explained and so forth and the other thing that uh, as Ron said you know we, we aren't going to fully understand every single detail there was uh, back in the early 1900s there's commentaries written on the book of revelation that they that they basically came out and said uh these the scholars that studied it said listen this is what the book means we don't know how that plays out but this is what it means uh and so even though as as i've uh, again have taught the uh, a series uh through the book of revelation before we um, people would ask me all the time, well, how, does that, how is that possible? How can the whole entire world become unified? And I, and I pretty much said, well, I, I don't really know that all the, how that's possible, all the details, because especially in America uh, at the time, I mean, we were so independent, and it was just like we would never follow the whole world type deal. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, that's how it goes. Um, and, and it's starting to happen exactly, and so and so some of these things that we may not understand how this all plays out in our practically in our world, but I think over time, if we understand the truth of God's word, that gives us the ability then to look at things through God's perspective and say, "Whoa, oh, that's what that means. No, that's how that's possible. That's what's going on." The other thing is this is the more we study God's Word and the more we read it, the more we understand it. It's like, uh, it's like this, a picture of this, a funnel or thing. This is not our kid. I just stole this off of the Internet. So even though when I looked at it, I was like, wow, that looks almost like one of our kids standing there. So. But uh, if you ever seen this where you drop a, this is a ball, but if you drop in a coin, and it starts going around at the top, and then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it drops down into the hole in the funnel. In a real sense, that's how, as we study God's Word, you know, when, we, when we're new believers, we've never read the Bible before, we're kind of on that outer, outer edge that it's, it's, everything's kind of new to us. And then all of a sudden, the more you read something, the more you study it, then all of a sudden, maybe not the first time you read through, but then the second time you read through it, and then all of a sudden you get a light bulb, and then you're like, oh, that's what that means. Because, because in this book, it says this, and then you start doing that, and then as more you study God's Word, the more as you get closer and closer and closer, and you work your way down. And so that's how the Bible is. Because the Holy Spirit allows us to as we mature in Christ to understand certain passages of Scripture better. Uh, we're not going to understand everything right away. Which is why, again, the, the Bible is unlike any other book. 
A lot of the books in my office, I've read them one time. Great books. And they sit there for for years. I'll, I'll probably never read them again. Whereas the Bible is every time you read something, every time you read it, the Holy Spirit is teaching and the Holy Spirit reveals something new and those light bulbs keep going off to the point where you can have a PhD person who studies it for every single day of his life and who studies it and by the time he gets to the end, he still will not understand every single detail that is in in the Bible. Again, it's just uh, because it's God who is infinite wisdom uh, wrote it. The other thing as we go through this is this. You will be challenged. I will challenge you uh, and the the especially you know, we we this, where where it talks about the seven churches most people is like yeah that's that's fine but once you get into the rest of the book you will be challenged in how you view end time uh, prophecy and how this all plays out you will be challenged and in regards to that this is what we how we need to think. We need to hang on to the Bible firmly in our theology loosely. That's one of the... I love... I shouldn't say love. I, I, like, I enjoy every once in a while listening to Dr. David Jeremiah, except for when he gets to the book of Revelation. Because he his theology is, is what's called... Uh, you may, you may have never heard this term before, what's called dispensationalism, where he believes that the Old Testament, God worked in one way, the New Testament, God worked in another way, and then in the end times, God will work in another way. And so, his the, because that's his framework, that's his theology, he interprets different passages of scriptures with that framework in mind. Instead of saying... What does the scripture teach here and allowing that to influence his theology? Uh, and there's uh, the book of Revelation is for the most 99.9% of the time, what he says is great. He's a great Bible teacher, but his end time revelation, first, first Thessalonians teaching, his theology comes out and he and he his theology influences how he interprets Scripture. And you can see that because he never teaches on 2 Thessalonians. Because he doesn't know what to do with 2 Thessalonians. Um, because it challenges his theological framework. And the reason for that is this. 1 Thessalonians. In fact, Turn, turn with me. I know we are totally not in the book of Revelation, but that's okay. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 here. And this is where we get the, the chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter, end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5. This is where we get the understanding of the rapture of the church. Uh, rapture just means taken up. Uh, and and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is writing this to the believers in Thessalonica. 
Uh, his first letter, he says, uh, starting in verse 13, first lesson in chapter 4, verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who, who sleep in death. In other words, uh, when, when Paul talks about sleeping, it is uh, the believers who have died. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. And so here is this idea that, okay, we don't need to grieve like other like non-believers because we have this hope in Christ that, that those who have died in Christ, and those believers that have died, this is what's going to happen. When Jesus returns, He's going to bring them back. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the, su- the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. This is what's going to happen when Jesus returns. The Lord is going to come down from heaven with a loud shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And why do those things happen? You think of a king coming. When a king comes into a door, or when the president enters in, what happens? There's a loud shout that says, announcing, here he is. So that everybody in the room can turn, especially when the king comes, uh, maybe not so much for the president of the United States, but when a king enters a building, everybody was to turn and everybody was to bow down. And that's the, what's going to happen when Jesus, the king of kings, comes there's going to be that trumpet, that announcement saying, here he is, here's the king, and what's going to happen? Well, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. First second, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are and are left will be what? caught up, taken up, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then he goes on to verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, I'm referring to about the times and the dates when these events are going to happen, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, when you talk about, well, the day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night, those that's to unbelievers. As believers, God has given us these signs to know, and that's what the book of Revelation deals with, these signs to know, hey, time is getting close. We better be paying attention. And so Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians this encouragement. This is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come again. The dead in Christ are going to rise. Those who are still living, that are alive, that will be caught up and, and raptured and be meet, meet Jesus in the air and have this wonderful reunion in the air. And then Paul says, well, I don't really need to tell and explain when these things are going to happen because we told you when we were with you when these things are going to happen. So Paul sends the first Thessalonians to them. They get this letter. And they said, hey, Jesus' return is very soon. So let's quit our jobs, sell our houses, become lazy. Paul White writes 2 Thessalonians 
to chew them out. In fact, now turn to 2 Thessalonians. And this is the book. The people that loved the, the understanding this way, and Dr. David Jeremiah is an example, and I just, I'm not picking on him. This is a, he's an example, a popular example of his theology of the, that pre-trib that the God's going to take the church out of the tribulation. And they don't know what to do with 2 Thessalonians because when you turn to 2 Thessalonians where Paul writes and says, what in the world are you doing? Why are you become lazy? Why have you, like, maybe I should have explained a little bit further. And that's what he says in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. He says, now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him. Yeah, that understanding of what happened in 1 Thessalonians. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. That was the other thing that was happening. People said, hey, you missed it. You, you, Jesus already returned. And he says, that's not the case. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And so Paul says, You haven't missed it. It's not going to happen until when? When Jesus comes back, when this man of lawlessness comes to power, or the Antichrist which is what happens, and we'll see that in the book of Revelation. And so he pretty much then says, get back to work. If you don't work, you don't what? You don't eat. You don't eat. That's where this verse comes from. And so that's, again, I'm not just picking on, there is so popular, the most popular view in America is that view. Um, but they just don't know what to do with these verses in Second Thessalonians where Paul writes again and be like, whoa, whoa, time out. You haven't missed it. Jesus hasn't come again. He, there's, there's these signs that will show us that prepare us to when he will return. And that sign is when the Antichrist comes to power. And then we'll know it is getting close. And so all I have to say is that we, we got to hang, when we look at the book of Revelation, we have to study it almost like with new, new, fresh eyes. And we have to look and say, okay, what does the Bible, what do these words actually mean? And then our theology, we need to kind of hang that on maybe a little loosely and build our thinking upon the Bible. And that's what it, what it comes down to. We have to let God's Word be that teacher uh, to be our God, and our, and if we, if our understanding, our theology, our system of believing goes against what God's word actually teaches, then there's a problem with our theology, not a problem with God's word. And so many times, what happens in John three sixteen, for God so loved whom? The world. Did you know that some people will change the word world and say 
the elect because that's what their theology and their understanding believes. And so we have to get to the place, again, our thinking has to be based upon what God's Word actually teaches and not do the, what I say, the theological hokey-pokey type deal of, uh, well, we got to put what run hand in, but no, we, we, we don't like that verse, so we got to change it a little bit so we, un- no. No, we got to accept God's Word and not our system of thinking. So, so all that to say, as we look at the book of Revelation, uh, who wrote, who's the human author on the book of Revelation? John, John the Apostle. And so as we, and this was one reason why I, I figured we would sit up here a little bit because um, tonight as we kind of lay this foundation of, of as we start this study, to kind of look at the life of the Apostle John, to kind of see, you know, what's happening, where did he come from, uh, and, and, and where is he at uh, when he's writing this. And so one of the things, and basically what I did is we're not going to look up every single one of these verses. We may look up a few of them and read of them and just kind of discuss them. Uh, but this is kind of from the very beginning of the Gospels when we were first introduced to to John all the way to when John dies as, as uh, with church history. So, uh, But uh, John is from the city of Capernaum. That is along the Sea of Galilee. We know that from uh, Mark there. Uh, and... And again, this is one reason because, as you know, I love maps and I did not want to print out like 10 maps tonight. So, so there's the city of Capernaum. Uh, does, anybody, does anybody know who else is from the city of Capernaum? Peter. Uh, and, and you see that, the, that they were actually, in, in a sense, they were fishing buddies and that was John's occupation. We see that again in Mark 1, 19 and Luke 5. Is that... Uh, John is uh, there with his father and his his brother. And does anybody know his brother's name? James, James, James and John. And uh, they were there, sitting, uh, taking care of their nets. And as a fisherman, that's what they did. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew uh, they made their livelihood on it. And then Jesus comes to them and calls not just John but James to be uh, his follower. And that's, uh, again, you can see in Matthew and Mark, that's what happens. And, and what do they do? They drop their nets. And they follow Jesus. And they said, Dad, uh, we will see you later. We also know that uh, Jesus then names him as one of the 12, uh, 12 apostles or, or the disciples there. And, and again, not just John, but also James. And we also see that John is part of Jesus' inner circle. And there are numerous times where it's just the Peter and James and John with Jesus. Does anybody know? There's, there's about three times when it's just those three people. Because the Garden of Gethsemane, so all, all the disciples go, but the, those three go with Jesus further into Garden. Where else? Transfiguration. Transfiguration. All the rest of the disciples are down on at the edge of this mountain. Peter, James, and John and Jesus go up onto this mountain of transfiguration. And that's where Peter says, hey, this is pretty cool. Let's build some tents here. 
And Jesus says, Peter, you have no idea what you're talking about. What else? There's one more time. Jairus' daughter is resurrected. As if you, there's a scene there where as Jesus is heading uh, with Jairus uh, to the house and this woman stops and, and touches Jesus by the hem of the garment and is healed from this bleeding that she's been um, dealing with all her life. And Jesus has this conversation and then the people come and say, you know, don't, don't, uh, um, don't, don't, don't bring Jesus, your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, no, she's not dead. Let's go. And so as they approach the house, he only takes uh, the, the girl's mother and father and Peter, James, and John into the room and raises and they get to see uh, how uh, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Uh, and so the, those three times you have that kind of that inner circle where uh, they are with Jesus. It is also interesting, you know, John is very similar to Peter when he gets himself into trouble too. Mark chapter 10. Uh, in fact, turn with me there in Mark chapter 10. Does anybody remember this request that he makes to Jesus? Yeah, James and John, uh, verse uh, 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him and say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do? Verse 37, they reply, Let one of us say your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. So if you're thinking, okay, this Jesus is the king and he's going to have a kingdom. And when we're going to be sitting next to his right and his left, what does that mean? They're going to be, that's the power places. Those are the ones that, they're going to be top dog, exactly. <laughs> and Jesus says, boys, you have no idea what you're talking about. That's uh, so why verse 38, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup? I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And what cup is Jesus referring to? Yeah. His death. Uh, whenever there's a cup, as throughout, especially in the Old Testament, New Testament, when Jesus says, no, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me, it's talking about uh, a lot of times the wrath of God being poured out. And he's saying, listen, can you really go through what I'm about to go through? And what do they say? Verse 39. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. Because in their mind, they're thinking, well, you're not going to die. Like, come on. Like, you're going to be king of kings. You're going to be that Messiah that's going to rescue us. And, and then Jesus says to them, well, you know, one day you will drink that cup uh, and you will be baptized, uh, uh, referring to you know that what's going to happen uh, in the death that they will experience. Uh, but verse 40, but the same my right hand or left hand is not for me to grant those places belong, of course, to those whom they have been prepared for, referring to uh, prepared by God the Father. Um, but then it's interesting when verse 41 rolls around here. So when the ten hear what they ask, how do they respond? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The nerve, yeah. 
the nerve of, come on, you think you're better than us? Now, there may be, now Matthew probably was the most wealthy out of the disciples because of being a tax collector. Uh, but James and John, them, they were wealthy businessmen, uh, it really seems to indicate. And then uh, the Luke uh, 9 passage, um, so they're going through this, uh, the Samaritans' uh, villages, and, and uh, the one village uh, does not welcome Jesus. And so they said, well, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to wipe them off the face of the planet? And Jesus is like, really? I'm not sure who they were going to call on. Uh, I mean, Jesus is, I mean, and again, this is early in the, you look at Luke, Luke chapter 9, I mean, that's early in the, in the process of understanding who Jesus was. Uh, but it is interesting. And so that's why they are sometimes called, their nickname is, uh, James and John's nickname are Sons of Thunder. Uh, referring to that judgment that they wanted to call down. Um, yeah. So even John had a, even though we see him very positive in other ways, uh, especially as we go through the rest of his life, he had times when he had, just like Peter did, that foot and mouth syndrome of like, oh, not sure if I should have asked Jesus that once, though. So. The other one here, uh, so as they go on, he, and you can see in Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 8, he's one of them that goes, that Jesus sends to Jerusalem and to Jerusalem first to prepare the Passover meal. Uh, you see that where Jesus tells, um, I believe it's also Peter, if I remember right. Let me turn there real fast. Uh, verse, verses 7 and 8. Then they came to the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover land would be sacrificed. Jesus sends, sends Peter and John saying, go make preparations for us to eat. And, and then there's a scene where they go into Jerusalem. Jesus says, you know, this is the person you look for, the person carrying the water jug. And when, he, when you, the person asks, uh, then ask them, you know, where's the house uh, that the, my teacher uh, can in the guest room. Um, just on a side note, the apologetics class that I teach on to the homeschoolers, we talked about Christmas uh, the past two weeks. And this, this verse that says, um, verse 11, and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? That Greek word guest room that is translated in that is the exact same Greek word that is in Luke chapter 2 that says, there was no room in for Mary and Joseph that that the baby was laid in the manger because there was no room in the inn. But the Greek word here is guest room, and so it's uh, same same word, same Greek word, uh, and so yeah, when we think of that inn, we think of the stable, we think of maybe a cave. But could it be the fact that because of Bethlehem, uh, there is no room in the guest room or the upper room? Uh, that's how that Greek word is usually used. So just some, just something to mull over and think about. That uh, our nativity scenes may be wrong, um, but it comes from the 1200s. Uh, so, anyways, 
sidetracked. So he prepares a, he prepares the Passover as Sarian says, he sits next to Jesus at the Last Supper. And there's this scene, uh, John chapter 13. And in the Gospel of John, people will look at the Gospel of John and say, well, there's only one John. And yes, there's only one person that is named John uh, throughout the, except for like in, in the, like the 12, it says John and so forth. John, who is the author of this uh, gospel, never calls himself out because of, of probably because of confusion with John the Baptist. Uh, literally, the John, John, the one who was baptizing, is is how that is. Um, whenever John is referring to himself, he uses the title. Does anybody know the title he uses? The disciple whom Jesus loved. And when he, you see that, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the Apostle John. And so in this passage, in John chapter 13, uh, verses 22 through uh, 26, Jesus has just announced that one of you is going to betray me. Verse 22, the disciples stared at one another at loss to know which one of them he meant. Verse 23, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him, and then and then that day they they would just sit and they would re, uh, kind of like lean back. Simon Peter motions to this disciple and says, "Ask him which one he means." And you can imagine this. The at least in my mind, uh, this is the scene that I get. Jesus has just said this. John is kind of reclining, and Peter maybe over here, and and Peter's like motioning, is like, "John, John, ask him, ask him, who is this?" And then, verse 25, leaning back, John asked him that question, Lord, who is this? And then you have the rest of the scene. And so, I mean, John, I mean, you think about this. You know, John was part of that inner circle. John was, as he called himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had this special relationship uh, with Jesus. The other thing we see is John sees Jesus' trial. John is there. Uh, John chapter 18. You have, usually we think of, you know, Peter is there because Peter is, is where during Jesus' trial? In the outer courtyard. We have the scene that he, Peter denies Jesus how many times? Three. Three times. But if it wasn't for the apostle John, Peter would have never got into the courtyard. In fact, someone could read uh, John chapter 18, verses 15 uh, through 18 there. And so it's interesting when you think about this is, you know, again, this is, disciple is probably, tradition tells us that this is John that gets Peter in, that he is known by the high priest. Uh, more than likely, the reason why he's known by the high priest because John was a very wealthy um, business person his occupation was fishing and there is some speculation again this is a speculation there's some speculation that it was john's family that provided the high priest with their food um and again that's just pure speculation but there had to be somehow that connection that john uh knew the high priest 
and was and knew and was allowed to enter freely. And then he was like, "Whoa, whoa, time out, Peter, come on with me," type deal. Um, so that's interesting. It also is John was at Jesus' crucifixion. I mean, the rest of the other disciples abandoned Jesus, but John is there. So why was John? Okay, I understand John kind of like went into the courtyard. Yep. But John knew that Judas betrayed Jesus. Yeah, but John wanted to see what was going to happen. That's why. So you have this courtyard that's outside where Peter Peter kind of stands to warm himself. John goes probably goes into the house then kind of it's kind of in the background just kind of seeing this conversation of okay what's going to happen to jesus now because they still don't fully understand that now this is all part of god's plan they're, they're trying to figure out like even though jesus told them this is what's going to happen i'm going to get arrested i'm going to die but three days later i'm going to rise again they're still trying to put this together in their heads and so John probably is goes in and follows Jesus at a distance to kind of to kind of see okay what's going to happen to Jesus. Now like I wouldn't think he was a bodyguard. I just think he snuck in and just to kind of a, as an observer. You know, like in, in the courtrooms mm-hmm. where you have like the the gallery where people can just come in and kind of observe what's going on. Is it that curiosity? And I think that that's, that that's probably, you know, because what happens that night, Jesus is condemned, and then the first thing in the morning is taken, uh, taken the pilot. And more than likely, so Peter leaves, the rest of the disciples probably go back into the upper room and probably lock themselves there. And then all of a sudden you have John probably come early in the morning and say, hey, guess what? They're taking Jesus to Pilate. And so he's probably the one that's kind of uh, like that informer. So, but then John, he's at the the cross, the crucifixion. Um, as one of the very last sayings, there's seven sayings that Jesus says on the cross, and one of them is to John, and that's what John chapter 19 talks about, where John Jesus is there on the cross, and he and he says uh, to to Mary. Uh, you know, this is your son, and this is your mother, and and basically what Jesus is saying there is, John, can you please take care of my mother? And early church tradition tells us that from this point on until Mary's death, John did that. John was with Mary. John, when when John moves outside of Jerusalem, uh, he to Ephesus. Mary goes with uh, with them uh, at that time. And so John does that. Uh, the other thing is, um, other thing is, uh, uh, Jesus, John hears Mary Magdalene's report and uh, on the first uh, resurrection day and runs to the tomb and he sees that empty tomb. Uh, he believes. Uh, John then is fishing with the other disciples and he sees and recognizes Jesus uh, on the shore. Peter jumps in after that miraculous tech, uh, catch in John chapter twenty-one. And and uh, then, but it's because of John that he says, that's Jesus, that's our Lord. The other interesting thing is at the end of chapter John uh, 21, you have this conversation that John, P- Jesus is having with Peter. And those, those three times Jesus says, no, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? 
And Peter says, Jesus, you know I love you. And then Jesus tells Peter that one day you're going to how he's going to die. And then Peter points to the apostle whom Jesus loved, which is, we know is John, and says, okay, how is that guy going to die? And at the end, uh, verses 20 and 23, Jesus answered in 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Verse 23, because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And so there was this rumor about how John would not die. And it is interesting to go through the rest of the life of John. John's the only disciple in the sense of the the 12 apostles that dies of old age. He's the only one. When you continue in the the book of Acts and you see the the life of John, he's the one that spends the night in prison with Peter. Uh, Right after the Pentecost happens, they are heading into the temple. John and Peter heal the guy. uh, And the priests and the religious leaders, and these are the same priests and religious leaders that arrested and crucified Jesus, that they're standing before and they were terrified 40 days before. Now they have the boldness of the Holy Spirit where Peter and John spend the night in prison. They threaten them the next day and they say, we cannot listen to you. We have to talk to tell people uh, about, about Jesus. Uh, Peter and John, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18, uh, the Samaritans uh, received the, the, the gospel of Jesus the, early, the the church in Rome, sorry, the church in Jerusalem sends Peter and John to investigate, and there's a scene there with uh, um, where they pray, where they pray for them, and the the Holy Spirit is just like Pentecost was uh, on the the uh, the Jewish people. This is Acts chapter eight is like the Samaritans Pentecost, if you want to say, where God pours out His Spirit upon the Samaritans at that time. And, and again, it's just that, that why does God do that? Why does God pour out His Spirit in, in uh, different people at different time? It wasn't really to show the apostles that, listen, this gospel of Jesus is for everybody, just not for the Jewish people. Because you have the Jewish Pentecost, you have the Samaritan Pentecost, and you also have, if you want to say, the Gentile uh, later on. And it's just that public saying, listen, it doesn't matter who you are. Every single person can believe in the gospel of Jesus. Um, it goes on. His brother James becomes the first martyr in the, in the book of Acts. And because of that persecution, what actually happens is, is the believers in Jesus are are pushed out from Jerusalem and start expanding and going throughout the entire uh, known world. In Galatians, uh, Paul calls him a pillar of the early church. As Paul is, there's a debate about, you know, what Paul is teaching and how he's not teaching that you have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. 
he he comes and he says we we sat down with with the pillars of the church Peter and John and we explain what were happening Acts chapter 15 deals with this we explain what's happening